You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Hello, kitties, and welcome to my world. I would come over and say hello to you, but it's just as easy for you to come to me. Yes, yes, come in. You've come to the right place. This is where you'll learn everything there is to know about your furry feline friends. I'm talking about cats. Yes, I know. We are positively perfect pets. What do you mean I have attitude? Why, of course I do. I'm a cat. It's called Catitude. As I was saying, this show is all about cats. Cats and... Um, oh, yes, uh, cats. So let me introduce you to my accomplice, I mean assistant and host of Catitude, Tom Doc. Okay, Tom, tell them how wonderful we cats are. It's okay, you have my permission. Hi, welcome to Catitude Channel on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Tom Doc, and I am very glad to be here. It is a rainy day here in Indianapolis today, but I am so happy to be talking with you about all things feline. And today I think we have a very interesting show going on. We're going to talk about some extremes here. One of the oldest cat breeds along with one of the newest cat breeds. Now these are both spotted cats and the oldest cat breed or one of the oldest cat breeds we're going to talk about today is the Egyptian Mao. And Mao means cat in Egyptian so basically we're going to be talking about Egyptian cats. And we'll talk about one of the newest breeds and that is the Bengal cat. After we take our midday break we'll also talk a little bit about how you and your pets can help the environment, how you and your cats can actually go green and lessen your carbon paw prints and, of course, your carbon footprints. And that, of course, will come direct from the offices of the Veterinary News Network. So I'm very excited about today's show, and I want to again say thank you to everybody who's been emailing in to us. If you've not known that you can, you can certainly email us here at tom at petliferadio.com. Again, Tom at PetLifeRadio.com. I had an email from someone that uh, unfortunately has not emailed me back yet. They were very worried that their cat had feline heartworms. And I was hoping to hear back and see how the cat was doing, but I've not heard back from this person yet. So if you are listening to this show and you haven't emailed me back, please let me know how your cat's doing. I want to know if the cat had heartworms or if there was something else going on. And then also we had a listener write in and say, hey, I really want to learn about Bengals. And this, of course, was what kind of prompted our show today. So I hope that she is listening and that you'll be able to glean a lot of really good information from this today. But as always, before we go on with the show, we've got to hear from our sponsors. And I've got another little trivia question for you today. You may be aware that of all the ancient civilizations, the ancient Egyptians probably revered the cat more than, than anyone, probably even more than, than we do. They absolutely loved these cats. They would mummify them. They would entomb them after they died along with um, other members of the family. And some Egyptian families would go so far as to shave their eyebrows when their cat died. Now, they were shaving their eyebrows out of respect to a certain cat goddess. What is the name of that cat goddess? And I will have the answer for you when we come back, right after hearing from our sponsors and these messages. Ooh, do I hear a can being opened? I believe I smell tuna! Catitude will return after these messages. That should give me enough time to investigate what's going on in the kitchen. Don't have a hissy fit. We'll be right back. 
love cleaning the litter box, said no one ever. Luckily, there's World's Best Cat Litter, the litter that promises less mess with less litter. Only World's Best Cat Litter uses the concentrated power of corn to quickly trap odors in tight clumps. And quick clumping means you never have to chisel or scrape the box. Less cleanup with less wasted litter? That's a litter bit amazing. Save $2 on World's Best Cat Litter. Visit www.saveonworldsbest.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. How dare they open a can of tuna and make a sandwich out of it? I can see why some of my celebrity pals prefer lasagna. Well, anyway, I did manage to grab myself the canary while I was in there. Quiet, bird. We're going to hear the rest of my show, Catitude. If you behave, I may not eat you. Until later. Okay, Tom, you may continue. Okay, welcome back to Catitude on Pet Life Radio. Again, my name is Tom. And our trivia question this week was, what was the name of the cat goddess in Egyptian mythology? And for those of you who are not into mythology, I'll let you know that that name of the cat goddess was Bast, or Baset, Bastet, whatever you think is most appropriate. And um, I found a little website on GeoCities, and I actually you'll have to email me this if you want to get this website, because it's way too complex to try to do over the radio right now. But uh, it has a whole bunch of cat names that are all Egyptian cat names. I thought that was very interesting um, that Bast is the mother of all cats and she is the embodiment of the warmth and sunshine and goddess of the East. She actually was the goddess of quite a few things, the goddess of pleasures, which of course covers a heck of a lot of territory. Well, we're not going to be talking about Egyptian gods and goddesses today. We're going to talk about Egyptian cats. And our first cat breed we're going to talk about today is the Egyptian Mal, and this is one of the few breeds of cat that is spotted. And I found a very interesting quote on the CFA website of a new first-time owner of an Egyptian Mal, and he said that you can always tell cats what to do, but Egyptian Mal's save you time. They just go ahead and read your mind. Now, I personally have not ever owned an Egyptian Mao, and unfortunately, I've never even had the opportunity to come across one in any of my veterinary practices or any of the pet stores or shelters that I worked at. So I'm very intrigued now to learn more about this cat and learn why this owner would say that they just go ahead and read your mind. But let's talk about the history of the Egyptian Mao real quick. Now again, I've already told you that Mao means cat in Egyptian, and these cats actually, the breed goes back to the time of the pharaohs. Some sites will even go as far to say that this breed is kind of the foundation for all domestic cats. Now I don't know if that's true or not. I don't think it is given that cats are probably domesticated in several different areas, but we certainly know that they were around at the time of the pharaohs. Now, if you've been listening to the shows, you're probably saying to me right now, well, Tom, you said that the Siamese were around at the time of the pharaohs and you said the Abyssinians were probably around. Well, if you look at Egyptian art, certainly the Siamese, the Abyssinians, and even the Egyptian Mao's all look very similar to what you see portrayed on statues, you see portrayed in the Egyptian art on the wall drawings and everything. But there have been several instances of these wall drawings, some tapestries and some paintings that showed specifically a spotted cat. And of course, we know that Siamese aren't spotted and we know that Abyssinians aren't spotted. So the theory is that the Egyptian Mao was probably the cat that most Egyptians found 
most sacred. All cats, of course, were sacred, but the Egyptian Mao was kind of the cat of Egypt. We believe that these are descendants of the small African wildcat, Felis sylvestris, and certainly this little wildcat does look a lot like the Egyptian Mao's. And as you'll find out later, as we talk about some of their behavior, Egyptian mouths are very unique in several aspects. And so whether that just makes them unique um, as individuals or whether it means that they are holding on to some traits that other domestic cats it's been bred out of remains to be seen. But certainly we know this is an older breed. However, the modern breed really originated in the 1950s. As with so many breeds, World War II just completely wiped out this breed and there were very, very few left. But there was an exiled Russian princess. Her name was Natalie Trobetskoy. And she was actually a nurse through World War I and parts of World War II. And she happened to be living in Italy when she was given this small kitten that was spotted and the kitten's name was Baba. She found out where the cat was from, and it was actually the Egyptian ambassador to Italy that gave her the cat, and she prevailed upon him to bring a couple more, and she ended up with another female, Liza, and a male, Jojo. And this is really the foundation of all of the Egyptian mouths that are in existence at this point in time. So you can see it was a very, very limited gene pool. An interesting story, this breed almost never happened. Um, not only was it because of Princess Natalie's devotion to this breed, but because Princess Natalie actually tried to book passage to the United States on the Andrea Doria, which if you're history buffs know that was the unsinkable Andrea Doria that got rammed by a Swedish steamer and sank off the coast of New England in I think 1958, if I remember correctly. So, this breed almost never happened and may be extinct at this time if it was not for the fact that Natalie could not get tickets on the Andrea Doria. Now, the breed was recognized by the CFF in 1968, and the CFA actually recognized them in 1977. And Gene Mill, who you'll hear more about when we talk about Bengals, actually was important with this breed as well, as she imported several outcrossers from the Delhi Zoo during her trips over to India. And that helped to stabilize the Egyptian male population, give us a much more broad gene pool, and people now did not have to necessarily wait for an Egyptian male kitten. Back in the late 50s, 60s, and even into the 70s, people who wanted one of these cats, one of these spotted cats, could not get one because there was that few cats out there. It's still a relatively rare breed, and there's only about 7,000 of these cats that have been registered in the United States. Interesting little tidbit of information here. This is the fastest of all the domestic cats. These guys can actually hit speeds. Their top speeds are greater than 30 miles an hour. Now, that's pretty amazing to me when you really think about it. These guys are moving pretty well. And one of the things that they think gives them the speed and, and their cornering ability as well as their jumping ability is that they are a breed of cat that has retained a skin flap on the rear underside. And I don't know the biomechanics of it, but for some reason, this makes them faster. 
And we're talking about a spotted breed here, and this is one of the true natural spotted breeds. Again, this was a breed that was developed in ancient times through selective breeding, the Egyptians, of course, breeding the cats, and then, of course, in modern times with Princess Natalie helping with that. There are other spotted breeds, and we're going to talk about one in just a few minutes here, the Bengal, but this is the only natural spotted breed. Everyone else has been developed in recent times due to basically the breeding and selective breeding of man in these modern times. One of the um, things that I find very important about the Egyptian Mao is that they have a longer gestation period. In other words, from the time they conceive the kittens till the time the kittens are born is about a week longer than the other cat breeds. And again, I don't know if this is a throwback because this is an ancient breed or what, but there's a lot of times that Egyptian Maos will go 70 days before they give the kittens up and the kittens are absolutely healthy and as you're aware most cats are going to deliver about 60 to 62 days after they conceive now if you're interested in the colors of the egyptian mouths if you're going to shows and stuff there are three colors that are allowed to be shown in the cfa standard and that is the silver the bronze and the smoke but egyptian mal breeders will also talk about blacks and pewters and these cats are allowed in breeding programs however they are not allowed to be shown at this point in time and again if you want to see pictures of these guys go to the cfa website cfa.org and you'll see some really nice pictures under the um, breed article on the egyptian mal Another thing about their body that you should be aware of, a true Egyptian male should always have a worried expression. Because of the length of their face compared to the width of their face and the set of their eyes, they always appear like they're really worried about what's going on in the world. So, and of course the little M, you know, all spotted tabbies have to have the little M on the forehead. As far as their personality goes, early, early mouths, especially back in the early parts of this, of the 20th century, before Princess Natalie got involved, these guys were very unpredictable, very fiery and wild nature, probably throwing back to those original African wildcats. But because of selective breeding, because of the dedication that a lot of these breeders have had with the Egyptian mouths, these cats have turned to be a very friendly cat and even a fiercely loyal cat to the family and i find it very interesting to hear reports about egyptian mouths chasing cats and dogs off of their property i understand they can be somewhat aloof with strangers but these are a very active breed like many cats they enjoy heights and uh, there was a nice little article on one of the websites i was looking over saying that they enjoy sitting on top of the refrigerator waiting for the door to open to see if the cat goddess boshed will give them a delicious treat and I talked about uh, some of the quirks that they have, and one of them is called tail waggling or tail wiggling. Some breeders call it wiggle tail. And when they're happy, like a lot of cats, they'll stand there and they'll make their little biscuits. They'll need their front paws, but they'll also wiggle their tail back and forth, which is very reminiscent of a male cat spraying on a vertical surface. In fact, there's been a lot of owners of Egyptian mouths who've gone over and probably scraped away a lot of paint trying to wash off urine that is just not there. But this is just one of those things that they do. Jumping back to their body type just for a second, I forgot to mention that these cats have green eyes. They should always have green eyes. So that was a little bit about the Egyptian mal. Let's jump forward in time and talk now about the Bengal cat. Now, the first thing I want to tell you is Bengals, 
there's no reference and no relation to Bengal tigers. There's nothing to do with Bengal tigers at all. Bengals were named for the Asian leopard cat. The Asian leopard cat's scientific name is Felis bengalensis, and so we get the name Bengal from that. And this is truly, even more so than the Egyptian Mao, a cat that is a domestic cat, but looks like it's a wild cat. And that is really, I think, what a lot of cat owners want. They love the beauty of the big cats. In fact, Ernest Hemingway said, don't you realize that the fireside tabby is merely a shrunken lion without a mane? And he was saying that because people ask him, you know, you like to hunt a lot. Why are you always photographed with your cats instead of your dogs? And he said, well, you know, because my cat is basically a little lion. And I think a lot of people see that as true, especially when you're watching a cat's behavior, if they're stalking something, or even if you're just playing with them and they go into that crouch position. It's so fun to think that they're out in the wild and they're a big cat about to make their kill. And so people really get into that and they, they like the fact that they could have something that looks so wild, but will sit on their lap. And so the Bengal was actually developed because of a domestic cat being bred to a wild Asian leopard cat. Now, the Asian leopard cats, and up until, oh gosh, probably even close to 1980, were actually available in pet stores on occasion. And Jean Mill, who we've talked about with the Egyptian Mao, she was involved with one of these cats. She had gotten one. And the cat appeared to be very lonely. It had been taken out of its environment. And of course, you know, we can debate the ethics of whether a wild animal should be kept or not. But regardless, she's already done it. And um, her husband thought that the cat looked very lonely. And so they went and they got this little male black domestic short-haired cat to throw in with the Asian leopard cat. Well, it ended up these guys started breeding. And there were several litters born. And so... One of the kittens of the first litter was a little spotted female. And actually, Jean was able to keep that cat and start breeding back to the father cat. And that's kind of what started the Bengal breed. And so these cats do actually have a little bit of wildcat in them. They don't just look like wildcats. They have a little bit of wildcat in them. And this is something that happens on occasion. There are a lot of wildcats. There's about 28 species of small cats that are wild, and many of them are not much bigger. In fact, are about the same size as are domestic cats. In fact, the um, African wildcat, the Felis sylvestris that I talked about with the Egyptian mouse, the Asian leopard cat, Palace's cat, Joffrey's fishing cat. A lot of these cats are just about the size or maybe just a little bit bigger than our average domestic cat. And so hybrids can and often have happened. But our Bengals, in order to be a true domestic cat, have to be at least three generations removed from that original Asian leopard cat breeding. So in other words, you've got the original Asian leopard cat with a domestic cat. You've got one generation, you've got the grandchildren, and then the great-grandchildren. And then that fourth generation, the great-great-grandchildren, can actually be considered a domestic cat and a domestic cat breed. And this is what the Bengal is. So they are one-eighth Asian leopard cat. Now, the International Cat Association was the first one to register the Bengal cats, and this was in 1983. Interestingly enough, the Cat Fanciers Association, the CFA, where I get most of my information, will not register Bengals. And their statement on their website basically talks about they don't want to see people going out on a whim and hybridizing 
these wildcats with our domestic cats um, simply because is there enough interest out there and we certainly want to think about the consequences of our actions and i think that's a, a pretty smart thing to do we definitely don't need more domestic breeds of cats there's certainly enough genetic variability that we're going to find a lot of variation within what we have already now these are bigger cats um, given their ancestry they can get up to about 20 pounds and i always think back when i was in the veterinary profession we had a Bengal cat that would come in. He was part of a four-cat household that would board with us when their owners went out of town. And the owners went out of town pretty routinely throughout the year. And they would stay about a week with us. And this little Bengal's name was Gus. And I just adored Gus. He had the best personality, always climbing on my shoulders, always talking to me. Just a very, very nice cuddly cat. And I told the owner one day, you know, if anything ever happened and she had to find Gus a home, please think of me and I would be happy to take Gus into my home. Well, she kind of started laughing at me and I asked why and she said, well, he just gets into everything. And again, we've got a larger cat here, a cat that could be up to about 20 pounds and not be overweight. And she said he would get up on mantles and dressers and wherever he would get up on, his big body weight would just knock things off. And so that was something that I had to think about. And Gus is still living happily in his home. Um, I did not take him home, but certainly he had a wonderful personality and I was happy to get to know him. I like Bingo cats also because these cats, none of them, no two cats will have identical patterns. They're like human fingerprints or, or snowflakes or like one of their similar namesakes, the Bengal tigers, there's no two tigers that have the exact same stripes. Now, these guys do have spots and stripes. They'll have spots across their body going into horizontal stripes on their legs and towards their back. They come in a couple different patterns, mainly spotted tabbies and marble tabbies. The marbles are the spots that start kind of all merging together. Very, very beautiful cats. And breeders are also working on some other patterns, including changing some rosette patterns and colors. And so this is a breed that we should be watching and certainly a breed that uh, stands out because of its beautiful nature. They do have a couple of health problems. Well, really just one health problem to talk about. When we talked about Persian cats, we talked about a disease called progressive retinal atrophy. And this is common in Persians and Himalayans, but it is also common in the Bengal cats. But the interesting thing is it's not necessarily the same genetics. It's thought in the Persian cat that this disease is caused by a dominant gene. And there's a thought going on. In fact, I just read where a scientist got a grant to study this, that in the Bengal, it's actually due to a recessive mutation. So I thought that was kind of interesting from a genetic standpoint. And the other thing, I kind of want to put rest to a rumor that's out there. A lot of people who breed Bengals and a lot of people who end up getting Bengals as pets have a belief that these cats are resistant to the feline leukemia virus. And I want to tell you right now, um, without a doubt, that is not true. Now, one of the early original people who were involved in the breeding of the Bengal cats was a pediatrician and geneticist out in California. And he was looking at the Asian leopard cat as a possibly having a resistance to feline leukemia. And it was this doctor that Gene Mill was working with. And so I think that what happened was he was working with finding out whether these cats had a resistance to feline leukemia or not. And somehow just like a lot of internet rumors today, it's gotten blown out of proportion and people believe that their Bengals are resistant to feline leukemia. That is not true. They have no genetic basis to be resistant to feline leukemia. 
even if the Asian leopard cat is resistant to feline leukemia, remember we're four generations removed from the wild Asian leopard cat. And so at most, it's going to have one eighth of the genome. Our Bengal cats are only going to have one eighth of the genome. So they are definitely not resistant to leukemia. So don't believe that if your cat goes outside, if they live in a multi-cat household with other cats who go outside, you definitely want to get them potentially vaccinated for feline leukemia. But always, as always, talk with your veterinarian about the best thing to do with that. Okay, well, we have ate up a lot of time. I need to start talking about how you and your cats can go green. But first, we need to hear from our sponsors. So let me break away to them, and I'll be right back after these messages. Ooh, do I hear a can being opened? I believe I smell tuna. Catitude will return after these messages. That should give me enough time to investigate what's going on in the kitchen. Don't have a hissy fit. We'll be right back. Molly, here's your dinner. <coughs> Zeus, that's not your food. Don't let that happen to your precious cat. Elevate your cat's eating experience with the Cat Tree Tray. The Cat Tree Tray keeps your cat's food off the floor and conveniently located on the cat tree. It's the perfect way to eat. It's a beautiful wrought iron tray that easily attaches to your cat tree and keeps dogs and other critters out of your cat's dish. A must for multi-pet households. There's a 6-inch tray for large bowls and a 4-inch tray for smaller bowls. Purchase your Cat Tree Tray today. Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com. C-A-T-T-R-E-E-T-R-A-Y.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. How dare they open a can of tuna and make a sandwich out of it? I can see why some of my celebrity pals prefer lasagna. Well, anyway, I did manage to grab myself the canary while I was in there. Quiet, bird. We're going to hear the rest of my show, Catitude. If you behave, I may not eat you. Until later. <laughs> okay, Tom, you may continue. Okay, and we are back for the last part of our show today. And direct from the offices at the Veterinary News Network, I want to talk a little bit about how you and your cats can go green. We are all very, very worried about what we are doing to the environment. And I think that's absolutely wonderful. Whether or not you believe in global warming or not, I think that everybody is concerned what we are doing and we want to start doing some more eco-friendly things. Even if you're not all that concerned about the environment, think about the price that you're paying for gas. I know that we hit 375 here in Indianapolis this week and it's going to keep going up and that's just a very, very scary thing. Makes me happy that I work from home, get to talk with you guys from home and I don't have to drive anywhere. Well, certainly we can reduce our carbon footprint and what you've got to keep in mind is that there are a lot of toys and accessories for pets that are made with products that are made from the petroleum industry. And there's also a lot of toxic runoff when you're talking about dog toys and cat toys that are made. So we wanna look at and certainly go to stores that will provide us with eco-friendly pet toys and pet accessories. And a lot of the big chains like PetSmart and uh, Petco have already started going that way. But if you want to take a look at a few things first, and I have to apologize because when I was writing this article for the Veterinary News Network, um, 
these websites that I found were basically more dog websites, but they did have some cat toys on them. So certainly you want to look them up. There's a website called simplyfido.com. They make a lot of dog toys out of cotton and organic dyes. And I think some of their cat toys were also dyed organically too. So that's much more environmentally friendly. You don't have a bunch of toxic dyes going into the environment. You're using um, natural coloration, just like the ancient Egyptians would do. Planetdog.com makes their toys from 100% recyclable material. And they also make collars and leads and harnesses from hemp. So, of course, that is something, unlike the nylon, which we can easily recycle and doesn't require any kind of petroleum type of product in it. There are some great beds that you can find out on WorldWise. That's WorldWise.com, WorldWise.com, that are made from recycled plastic bottles. And the really neat thing about this is these are comfortable beds. They take these plastic bottles and grind them up to make a fiber and the fibers are put in the beds and it saves according to their sales estimates it saves about 30 million plastic bottles from reaching landfills now you might think how can a plastic bottle make a comfortable bed well it's actually very true i don't have a pet bed that's made out of recycled material but my wife works for a big recycler here in indianapolis and they actually gave all of their employees several pairs of socks that were made from plastic bottles. And I have a few pair of these socks and, and they're very comfortable. You wouldn't think that they would be, but all they do is just um, basically refine it into a fiber and they can sew it into just about anything. So um, that's a little bit of information you probably didn't need to know about me, but that's okay. When the pet food recall happened last year, a lot of people started looking at organic pet foods and, and pet treats because they didn't want to go with the, the commercial diets. And so you can certainly search through the web and find a lot of natural type of diets for your cat. But again, I want to caution you, always talk with your veterinarian before you go and get that diet, simply because some of these diets don't have all of the nutritional needs that your cat's going to need, actually. One of the biggest concerns that we have with cats is making sure they get enough taurine. And taurine is an amino acid that is important not only in eyesight, but also in healthy heart function. And many people who think that tuna is just the best thing for their cat are actually causing lots of problems because these cats are not getting enough taurine. So whether or not you choose to go with organic food is certainly something that you have the best decision and the best um, references to make. But always, please, please, please talk with your veterinarian. And regardless of whether you go with a commercial or organic diet, you know that the cat's going to eventually leave some of that diet somewhere in a litter box in your house or outside. And I want to talk about litter boxes a little bit here. About 40% of the cat litter that's sold today is the traditional clay litter that we've had for years and years and years. And about 60% is the clumping litter that's just been out in the last 20 to 25 years. Now, what you might not know is neither one of these products is biodegradable, and both of them are produced from a type of clay that is a non-renewable resource. And so every time we're dumping that litter box and we're taking it out to the trash and putting it in a plastic bag, it's ending up in a landfill. And there are estimates that I got from wikipedia.org that more than 2 million tons of cat litter end up in U.S. landfills every year. And that's just, that's amazing to me. Two million tons of cat litter. That's a lot, a lot of cat litter. So some companies are taking the lead in making some environmentally friendly cat litters. 
There is a scoopable and flushable cat litter that is made from whole kernel corn, and I believe that is called World's Best Cat Litter. I've tried that myself at home, and honestly, I think what they're doing is great. I was not as uh, happy with the clumpability as I was, and of course, we'd expect that a little bit, clay versus corn. But I did find one from Next Gen Pet Products, a cat litter that's made from green tea leaves and sawdust, and that worked out really, really well for me. I really like that. Again, that's nextgenpet.com. And at any time, please email me at tom at petliferadio.com if you don't get any of these websites, and I'm happy to send them to you. Arm & Hammer also is making more of a biodegradable litter right now, too, that my cat Vulcan absolutely loves, and that's definitely what I'm going to go with. It really helps control odor very, very well. So there are a lot of things that you, as a cat owner, can do to go green and help save the environment. One thing, again, that you want to be careful of above and beyond thinking about organic diets and things like that is a lot of people think that if you're going to go green or you're going to go natural that you've got to find holistic and natural remedies for your pet again be very very careful there's a lot of things out there that people will want to use on their pets a lot of herbal oils a lot of natural tea leaves and things like that that may not be good for your cat so please talk with your veterinarian, see if they've got information, and see if that's something that they would approve of, especially if your cat's got a chronic medical condition like hyperthyroidism or one of the heart problems. We definitely don't want to be messing with medications at that point in time. Your veterinarian, your veterinary team knows you, they know your pet, and if you talk to them about this kind of stuff, you say, hey, I'd like to find something that's a little more natural, it's a good way to keep the lines of communication open and your veterinarian will be open to at least listening to you they may not be able to find something that will match what the drug does but certainly they'll they'll know your concern and they'll be on the lookout for it then and i think that's the best thing keeping that lines of communication open so we have gotten through another half hour another show is done i'm very happy that i was here with you today and happy that you all were listening again if there is anything that you need to know about cats if you have ideas for the show if even you've got some behavioral or medical problems with your cats and you'd like a second opinion i can get a veterinarian involved like dr bernadine cruz who is over on the pet doctor channel on pet life radio i would be happy to forward some of those questions to her and hopefully we can find an answer for you so please feel free to email us tom at petliferadio.com again tom at petliferadio.com it's been great i'm looking forward to our next show i hope you learned something today and i hope that you all have a great week and we'll be talking with you soon thanks for listening Want to know what cats like to eat for breakfast? Mice Krispies, of course. Learn everything there is to know about cats on Catitude with your host, Tom Doc. Each week, we'll spotlight a cool cat breed, give up-to-date advice on cat health, and check out spiffy new cat products. So curl up on the couch every week for a perfectly enjoyable time on Catitude. Every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.